We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the hills of Strawberry Canyon, I'm Coin Dang, and this is the Golden Bear Cast. Let's go, go Bears! And welcome back to another episode of the California Golden Bear Cast, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Rob Huang. Joined by me, of course, is my co-host Andy Johnston. Uh, we have two more guests on the show today. You can probably tell in the description. But the reason I'm kind of hurrying through all this is because uh, we have a lot to talk about and uh, not enough time. So we want to get in as much info and discussion as possible for all you listeners out there and all the Cal fans out there listening. If you're not a Cal fan listening, then even better. Um, but alongside the two of us is we have uh, Nick Krantz from Right for California, of course. Hey, hey. And we also have Nam Lay from The Crepe and also a writer of Right for California. Uh, yeah, we do a with the Sunday novel. split jersey thing over here, you know, like I, I, a house I've, been, I've been employed by every Cal site in existence over the last 10 years in some capacity. So happy to be here. Well, except for you squirted, you squirted Sriracha on our, our right for California sweater. I don't know if I'll ever forgive you for that one. Listen, it was an accident. It's, it was, you know, nobody plans on these things, Rob. That was probably the bad omen that led to Saturday. <laughs> It, it really was. It really was. All right. But the reason uh, we're all here today is uh, we're going to talk a little about Washington State and probably more about the repercussions of the game. Uh, but all of us are kind of on different parts of the spectrum in terms of the fallout that happened Saturday night uh, after the game. Um, there's a the huge variety of, of takes, right, from uh, people wanting everyone gone, from people still believing in, in the staff and giving them another year to... People who are ambivalent to people saying this is Cal and who we are. We just have to live by it. Um, but this is the Cal one one sector of the Cal football brain trust out of the bloggers. So we're all here. And so let's start with a let's start with just the broad where your stance is after the Washington State game, whether it be about Wilcox's job security or where the program is at. Um, and then we'll kind of just build our discussions off of that. So uh Nam, I mean, you're the most vocal one, so you you got to go first. 
I resent that. It's just it's it's just the same thing that I say when people find out that I'm like the English department head at my school. I'm just like it just means I'm your paperwork jockey. Like I just happened to be here first. So, um, long story short, uh, I like Justin Wilcox. I rooted for Justin Wilcox like years ago. You can find me advocating for his hire on Twitter, but uh, and also subsequently from the time before that, like not wanting him to get hired. So, you know, you've seen the whole range. Um, but my point uh, is I think the program has peaked under like under him. I don't think that uh, as much as I like him and wanted him to be successful, uh, I'm not seeing really encouraging signs. And I think losing this week in the fashion that they did uh, at homecoming against the worst team in the Pac-12 um, – I can't tell you when they'll fire him or if they'll choose to do that because the AD is its own separate entity that does its own thing. Um, but I think we're closer to the end than we are at the beginning at this point for him. Okay. That's where Nam is. Nick's kind of nodding. So I know Nick is somewhere in the same vein. So Nick, you're uh, what's your stance? Well, so I'm worried I'm going to be long winded here because um, there's, there's sort of a whole lot of like context and background to like, how you feel about um, college head coaches, right? Um, but I could, I could just sort of start by laying some groundwork here that, that my perspective on head coaches at the college level is that they receive so much compensation that by the nature of that compensation, they deserve a very heavy level of scrutiny. And I, I tried to look up the Justin Wilcox contract ahead of time. And of course, it's confusing because he received an extension that like changed his amount of compensation. But like, so Cal hires him in before the 2017 season, signed him to a five-year contract that provides him with roughly $10 million in total compensation, plus a whole bunch of like incentives. You know, you get X number of bonus money for seven wins and eight wins and nine wins if you go to Stanford and you go to UCLA and et cetera, et cetera good grades and all this but so then he gets a, a an extension after two years that like adds to his baseline compensation i don't know how it changes his, his incentives the bottom line is that so justin wilcox will you know he's going to be our head coach for the ranger this year certainly maybe cal will keep him on i don't know he'll have coached at cal for five years and gotten well in excess of $10 million in total compensation. I don't know how much higher than it is. I know that it's at least 10 million and more than that, certainly. If we're gonna be compensating somebody that much money from a public institution, I think it's important, like it's not just fair to ask, I think it's necessary to ask, are we getting fair compensation for that? I, I, you know, I don't feel a whole lot of sympathy you know, in these sort of situations. And I think when you look at his record, ultimately, I think the answer is, is no, that Cal hasn't gotten the football performance they expect from, from that level of monetary investment. I think that's fair. But Nick's just starting off his, uh, his take. So that's the groundwork. Yeah, well, I mean, and I can dive in, you know, as we continue our conversation about, like, aspects of, of that performance, like where we think that, you know, because because my opinion is that he hasn't reached that level of performance. Um, but we, you know, getting into why I believe that and why I might disagree, that's 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 probably where the, the real meat of the conversation is. But like I, you know, 
I want to start from the, the standpoint of we give these people a whole crap ton of money and you got to deliver if you, you know, like the, the, the aspect of the job here is that you're going to get heavily criticized because you get that money. In fact, the criticism is part of it because the reason we criticize is because we care and wouldn't be getting all this money if we didn't care. Our caring leads to the money. Fair enough. Andy? Where do you lay on the spectrum? So post post Washington State and just to reset a little bit, stoked to have you guys on. Excited for this conversation. Shout out to Shavit, who is a Twitter follower who asked for this to happen. And shout out to you guys for making it happen. Um, I think my post Washington State self, if I'm being totally honest with you guys, I didn't care about the Cal game at all. I had probably one of the worst sports days I could think of with the Giants losing three to two and then having to sit through after watching that at the press box, thanks to Rob. Then having to sit through the remaining two and a half quarters of Cal football, I was just like, screw it. Like, whatever sports, I'm done with you. <laughs> and today's much better. Uh, wonderful. So I'm in a much different headspace than I was maybe yesterday. But I think... When I heard you do the intro, Rob, you were like, yeah, like maybe there's, or was it Rob or Nam? <laughs> not a good start for me. Uh, but there was this sentiment of there's fans that maybe just sort of look at it passively and interact with the state of the program on a more passive level. And it was one of those things where I kind of like, I, I kind of am still in that state. So I just looked at it and was like, all right, well, it's just another loss. And I know it's not. I know how bad Washington State is. I know what the expectations were behind this game. And I understand the implications of, you know, what this game means in the greater context of for, for Wilcox and his career. But this season has just been such a, such a, you know, I don't know, classic Cal season. You guys going to kill me for saying that? Where... I, I don't and we've said it we've we've said it consistently on this podcast like I said it and I stand by it like we could lose every single game from here on out and I wouldn't call for Justin Wilcox to be removed as head coach and I, I'm very firm on that because I I just feel like in this day and age what happens is there's a tendency to chase something better and when you chase something better what you end up doing is you reset more so than actually achieve what you're chasing. And it means, and I've, I, maybe it's basketball and just going through that. And like Nick, what you were talking about, I'm like, yeah, we gave White King five years, one mil a year. No one gave him any criticism for the first couple of years because he wasn't really well paid. Like that was a really, it's a great point. Um, and so it made me sort of re, reconsider that position. But I think overall where I've been at with this is, that I believe that as frustrating as the season has been, that Wilcox is as competitive as they come. He understands the game exceptionally well on both offense and defense, in my opinion, from what I've seen from him, from being able to have a little bit of extra access to hear how he thinks, how he you know, considers things. And I just think we're in a nascent stage of what could be a pretty competitive program um, and I still think there's a case to be made that it's a competitive program this year. Like we're still playing competitive football as abysmal as that offense was. And as frustrating as that was to see, like the defense played well, thought the defense gave us 
and we can get into that. But there were just a couple of times, I mean, more than enough opportunities for any normal offense to be able to go out there and, you know, adjust to what the Washington State was doing or adjust to what Washington State was doing and win that game. We just didn't do it. And the one, the biggest knock that I have on Wilcox right now is it looked like the guys gave up, like full stop. It looked like the players were out. And if so, if he loses the locker room, this becomes a much harder argument. That's it. Well, I certainly will agree that um, if you told me ahead of the game that we would allow 21 points, I'd say, oh, sweet. We're going to we're gonna cover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the offensive performance following, you know, three pretty solid outputs in the last three games is really flabbergasting. Um, which I think kind of feeds into a lot of people sort of being like, what, you know, flabbergasting performances, like things that we like just can't be analyzed in my mind, like the offensive line playing like that. I just, I, I, there's no framework that I can come up with to explain why that happens with like the evidence that we've had this season with those same players in the past is I think partly what feeds into a lot of people's frustration with the current regime. Like, should it there be a certain level of consistent performance at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nam- very valid. Nam, do you have a? Do you, are you adding to this discussion? I, you're like sitting there and you're like you're processing everything that's being said. I'm 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 thinking about I'm thinking very deeply and it's a very different pace of like. Cal football conversation than I usually have, right? Like this is very talk showy. So like I'm th- I'm pondering carefully the the <laughs> magnitude of my response. Um, like I can't tell. Like I I'm not privy to like the locker room dynamics, but I can imagine that Wilcox definitely entered this year like with some high level of sway. Like you can't bring that many guys back. Uh, pitching them on the idea that we're ready to compete this year uh, without that, right? Like, so we we can assume that that definitely happened. If you're one and four into that season now, and you might not make even the, like, the Boca Raton Bowl or whatever it is, and and you, like, might have to scrap for that. Like, I think it's easy to envision the situation holding or getting worse and it's a lot harder for me to imagine some sort of substantive turnaround that would uh and i'm not saying like they might win three more games like after the stretch right when i say substantive god words uh substantive turnaround like if they're suddenly a bowl team um that's harder for me to see at the moment so like i don't know when they'll act but i feel like, I don't know, if it's a different unit every week being responsible, except the special teams, which is frequently responsible, like, I I just, I, I don't know if he's the guy that we want doing this job right now, even if it pertains to, like, rebuilding because fans might stop coming and things like that. There's all kinds of those things to factor into. Well, so I think the point you made about 2019 is something that I wanted to get into a little bit because, so I was trying to remember, like you mentioned, we're bringing a lot of guys back from a 2019 that went eight and five, maybe with better Garber's injury luck, they might've been even better than that. You know, I, I don't, not gonna guess on a precise win total, but you know, if things swing right, maybe that team wins 10 games, that's possible. We, uh, 
guys that we have lost off of that 2019 team, Evan Weaver, Cam Bynum, um, Michael Safel, um, Davis, Jalen Hawkins, Ashton Davis, Ashton Davis. So Trevion Beck. Beck. So we've lost a decent number of guys. Four NFL guys. Yeah. Um, but we've also brought a lot of guys back. Um, you know, like there was a reason that we were so excited about 2020 before COVID destroyed it all. And we haven't lost a ton of guys that were supposed to be contributors in 2020 um, that then left before 2021, Cam being the obvious example. And I guess what concerns me about the trajectory of the, of the Wilcox program, presuming it continues, is all of the guys that Wilcox and his staff inherited and turned into plus contributors are graduating. And Cal is struggling to replace pretty much all of them. Cam Bynum's cornerback spot has been a major problem area for the defense. Both middle linebacker slots replacing Weaver and Kunasik have been major problem areas. Um, you know, like Brett Johnson, to be fair, is one of their recruits. Uh, but, you know, it's clear that Cal's struggling without him. Coin um, Dang is injured. They're, there's been very few cases where Cal has lost a guy, whether to the NFL graduation or to injury, where the, the guy filling in has, has stepped in and replaced that production or even exceeded that production. And so at a certain point, the coaching staff is going to have to have guys step in to replace that, uh, that production, or we're just going to keep slowly backsliding. Um, and that, you know, it, it speaks to something that's going on at the recruiting level in terms of talent analysis or maybe more likely talent development that should be happening but is not. Um, but that's what I find sort of find confusing and intriguing about this team is that I think we all sort of agreed that Wilcox was recruiting at least as good as Sonny Dykes and maybe upgrading the level of recruiting. So if, if that is in fact the case, and I believe it to be the case, why, why is Cal having so much trouble replacing the stalwarts who were so successful earlier in the process tenure. I think that's a fair point. I think uh, Andy and I talked about this actually a couple of weeks ago when, or was it last week? Uh, when last week. we were talking about GA's departure, right? And this this thing that Cal fans have right now with this like yearning for GA to come back. Um, but my GA's point- GA's not coming back, people. He, he's not, he's not. <laughs> the point I was trying to make with that discussion though was that People think he would have been the savior for this class, but people also forget that his recruiting wasn't that great. He We whiffed on a lot of defensive backs targets while he was here. And all of the guys that he brought in are the sophomores and juniors, like the redshirt sophomores and the redshirt juniors that are currently a part of that room. But all of them have been leapfrogged by guys like Colin Gamble and Lou Hearns. And so like, I don't know if that's a, if that's a good enough argument here that it would have been better if GA was here. Um, I mean, coaching, of course, is the X factor here, but that's that's kind of what I what Nick was talking about, and, like, I'm continuing on that point. It's like, yeah, it's true. Like, our recruiting has been better, but the guys that have been brought in haven't replaced that production or stepped even to that next level of what we expected with that level of recruiting, right? And Andy was tweeting about that earlier today about, or was it, was it in that thread, Andy, that didn't explode? about uh the th- number three recruiting class in the in the conference yeah 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, Andy can talk talk about that, uh, but I think it, it plays hand in hand. I think, I think one of the shifts that happened to me is you look at the team that you inherited and they, <laughs> at least defensively, the fundamentals on defense, it seemed like we needed to have really good coaches and we opted for opted for coaches who can skill up rather than for coaches that can recruit. And what we have shifted towards in the last one to two years, in my opinion, are coaches that are recruiters first, coaches second. And I think it just shows right now, <laughs> you know, it's like, and though we're seeing that slip and I, I just don't think maybe it's something, you know, then maybe that's a miss that Wilcox just completely that I, I wouldn't be surprised if they looked at that and said, we need to recruit better. Recruiting is going to get us to the next level. Um, but in so doing you, you know, you continue to, to, to pull on coaches that are less credible at actually the execution. And what we've seen is like, I mean, even him in this press conference where, Wilcox normally comes into those pretty heated, as you guys know. It's not always the most fun for us. But, uh, you know, he just seemed down, borderline depressed. And, like, that's uh, totally understandable. I mean, it's got to be a tough season. Like, you tear your Achilles and all of this. (laughs) Like, it's like, that's a tough injury. And to do all this on top of it can't be easy. But I don't know if I've ever seen him that way. Um, And I think that, Rob, what... What you're alluding to basically is the point that I was making and, and and still have a lot of belief in is that every single thing that you guys said is valid, as of course it is. Uh, but I think as we look at recruiting, for me, it's like you brought in that class. And like, Nick, you're talking about these guys that are stepping up to fill those gaps. And I'm like, well, Ansel, Ansel's, I'm never going to say his last name. Ancelotos. Right? Ancelotos. <laughs> Like we like that was our Evan Weaver 2.0, right? Like that was a guy we really liked and lost him for the year in in fall camp. And then we lose Coin Dang, who, you know, last year came on slow, but then started to have a really like he was starting to catch have really good games by the time that season finished, all four games of it. And um and for me, those those and then the Brett Johnson loss. So you lost your best player on the D-line, your best linebacker. And the other linebacker that you thought was going to step into a major role. And then on top of it, we're, you know, we're looking worse on this in the secondary than expected. And, you know, he's been frustrated with his coaches there. But it's just like I look at that. And I'm like, all right, well, where are recruits coming in? They're coming in on the D line. And I think for that, the, the class where we had, you know, the third overall class in the Pac-12 or sorry. That's all right. Anyways, the third overall class of the Pac-12 is going to be like there's a lot of skill positions mixed mixed in there, and not a ton of those guys are necessarily have seen the field yet. The class that we're going to bring in is going to be very defensive line focused. And so, what I my question to kind of both Nam and Nick would be: Can you take me through the harm in waiting to see what those classes do by keeping it consistent versus? changing up the entire regime do you want to take this or do you want me to take this (laughs) no it's 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 one because we often share the singular brain cell through which we express these points um 
I get the impulse, right, to let the coaches, like, see their guys through, and it's very likely that if there's a next really good Cal team, like, it's going to be those guys you mentioned, right? Like, the guys who are already here. And I I understand that we want to see that go through, but if one, right, like, uh, it's the most potential, like, uh, you don't you you don't just keep a coach who can't do or develop or any of that like one trusting him to do that again with that group of recruits that pretty much universally everybody agrees is like among the best set of cal players to walk through here development fingers crossed right uh if he's failing at that currently i don't see the value of having him stick around when you could have other coaches two you know, like you risk some stuff like in the transition of that. I I get that, but like the overall health of the program can't be held hostage to one or two groups of recruits. Um, as as brilliant and as as we think that they're going to be, um, I think first and foremost, like if you've already shifted in this direction and you like giving him the opportunity to continue to hire coaches. That look, I have some very mild jeep crisp like reservations because i ran the numbers and he's never developed any tight end of note like in his career uh and that's who you have at your tight ends position right like it's it's things like this that make me not want to give him that and there's certainly talent here but that doesn't entitle him to be the one who gets to coach it i think the other thing that i'm a little bit worried about like andy i think you're entirely accurate that I think as Wilcox has been like replacing assistant coaches who were with him initially, that he was really specifically looking to try to upgrade on recruiting. And I was pretty like pleased with that, that direction. Um, We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My concern is that if we hire guys to recruit, but the on-field performance is so bad that they can't recruit, like we've already lost a couple of commits, and that doesn't tell the whole story of the class. There's still so much time, who knows uh, what the class will end up looking like. But like right now, uh, let me double check the numbers, on the 247 composite, Cal is ranked seventh in the Pac-12, which is good, but also not super great because like Arizona State uh, and Washington State are both like committing 
recruiting suicide with their off-field stuff. So like we're almost ahead of them by default. Um, you know, like <laughs> like we're ahead of Washington, but we're behind them on like average recruit ranking. We're like, you know, right now recruiting for the twenty twenty two class is not going super well. And if we if we brought in these guys to recruit, but they can't produce on the field and that kills the recruiting, then we're sort of like the whole concept is is DOA. And that would be another argument for like diminishing returns and, and we need to make a change to to try to salvage the direction of the program. Um, you know, that's it's a little unfair because like I said, we're in the middle of the recruiting cycle and who knows how it ends up. But like right now, Cal doesn't have a single four-star signed. Um, you know, it's 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 sort of standard average Cal class that we've gotten ever since Tedford left, which is fine, but like not something that would raise the ceiling of the program. I hope that changes, but you know, we sort of have to meet the meet the reality of how it is right now. Andy, anything to to add to that? No, I mean, I think those are both. I, I mean, I think that's. The only curiosity that I have is, is there anything that could happen on the recruiting front or on the field that would even change your mind? Or have you both kind of looked at this on your own and said, as far as my own belief about where this program can go, it's capped. I mean, if, if Cal won out, you know, then we, what would our record be then? We'd be eight and four. You know, like my sort of stance right now is you know, like I think what Rob said on Twitter earlier, like, you know, as much as possible, I try to wait until the end of the season to, to make a decision. I think that that's generally a good move. Um, you know, like Wilcox has this habit of following up flabbergasting performances with uh, really good performances. And so I don't think that it's fair to cast Washington State as reflective of his tenure. It's just one piece of data that's part of the entire tenure. But, you know, like, so if you want to put that one piece of data in the context of the entire tenure, you know, we're talking about a guy who's 11 and 22 in Pac-12 play. You know, he's, he's winning one of every three Pac-12 games. He's compensated, you know, I think, roughly average in the conference and he's producing below average results in the conference. So, you know, it's kind of straightforward. There, there are seven games left in the season for him to, to change the, the calculus of what he's produced. And, you know, I'm going to show up on Saturdays and cheer and hope that he does. But when I see a coach who has produced the way he's produced over five years, I'm going to assume that he's going to, continue to produce the way he's going to produce. So, you know, he'll probably, he'll probably like beat Arizona, Colorado, maybe pull an upset. And so what that's going to be four and eight, maybe we'll go five and seven. Um, but like my stance sort of throughout the Wilcox tenure is like, we're a six and six team plus or minus a game based on random luck. And the hope was that we would finally puncture that we're a 500 team equilibrium. We got so close in 2019 
And maybe if we had gotten a little bit of better injury luck, we might have. But at the same time, like injuries happen, and the, their ability to overcome the injuries is like another factor in coaching. I think it's that's sort of you know the reality of like the talent on hand. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily willing to give him the pass because guys get hurt. Because guys get hurt on every team. Um, just to my end, end of the question, like, yeah, if they can go seven and zero, like, I'll, I'll probably turn some heads. Um, if they make a bowl, uh, you know, I think it. What annoys me about that is one of the problems that I've had interpreting Wilcox's like entire tenure this whole time is, uh, the, just how easy it is for us to rationalize and and make excuses for certain things right the aforementioned injuries replacing these coaches the pandemic year right like if they make a bowl again we're ultimately just seeing we're running back the same story right like we're waiting for him to show us one way or the other uh despite you know escalating uh financial investment and decreasing fan investment at the same time um so he would have to do something wildly surprising at this point um recruiting is a function of like on-field success uh at least it's the part that you can certainly control the most so at least in this class i don't think that there's anything that they could do to sway my mind and uh at this point in the cycle with two months to go before national signing day we're not involved with anybody that is to my knowledge, like uh, at least talking to Trace and, and whatever, the guy who's supposed to know about this stuff, um, like uh, I, I don't think anything will, will, will change there, and which is a bummer because I would prefer for us to win with what we have with the same continuity because it's easier for uh, emotional investment, right? But um, I think there comes a point when you have to – except that what you're seeing is what you're seeing. Um, even when there are so many other factors involved, like we cut him a lot of passes on a lot of things, right? The team was like this close from going 0-4 last year. Um, put into some tough situations, yeah, but uh, I don't blame anybody who arrived at this conclusion that he's not going to be the dude like earlier than me. Um, but I think myself and Nick, like, sense just this was the point where, like, we know he's not coming back, like, all the way back from this, just like with Sonny at, at Oregon State. This is the point of no return. Fair enough. I think that's that's totally fair. Um, well, then I guess the, the, the question I would have to follow up with that is continuing that conversation, right, is, is, is whenever we decide to move on, Let's say it is this offseason, maybe it's next season, who knows. But let's if we play that scenario a little bit more to what Andy was kind of alluding to as well. Like does what helps us move that needle? Right? It, like it can it get are, worse. It could get <laughs> it worse. Can, <laughs> it can always get worse. Um but like let's just I just wanna I don't wanna like we don't need to throw out names or anything like that. I'm just saying from a from a program like health standpoint and where we what we expect the program to be at like where is it for you guys what is that next 
Like, what are we trying to achieve with that coaching change? Yeah. Is basically what I'm asking. And, and to be clear, when I said it could get worse, what I mean by that is, if Cal fires Justin Wilcox, they could absolutely hire somebody worse than Justin Wilcox. So I don't want to like discount that possibility. Um, speaking as a tortured Cal basketball fan, it can get worse. Um, <laughs> like so the. This is where I struggle with college sports generally, because if we're just talking about winning football games or winning games in whatever sport, there's a school of thought, which is that you hire a guy, you give that person as much time as possible, or uh, uh, you give them only so much time as it takes to determine whether or not they are a person that can raise the level of your program. And as soon as you have enough data to say, oh, it turns out, darn, they weren't, we, we took a swing and missed, then get rid of them, bring in somebody new and keep start that process over again until you find that person who's capable of raising the profile of your program, which I have no dispute with the logic of that, but I also think it leads to the insane economy of the sport where we're throwing around millions of dollars to a bunch of people who only occasionally are actually worth that much just from a purely capitalistic perspective um while you know all of the players are you know hustling just to get signed an endorsement deal with some sort of weird like supplement company um or a podcast yeah. <laughs> oh hey at least that's on the up and up and <laughs> wait are you guys signing somebody we have to, signed, to and I, we did oh. we signed coin dang he is the voice of our intro i was not aware of this i just it must have slipped across my twitter feed congratulations <laughs> congratulations <Congrats to> coin <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like you know I, i'm i'm cognizant of the fact that like what we're advocating for is just throwing more money at the problem for a school that you know may, may not have that money of course that's also an argument for like not extending justin wilcox after two years like Cal has decided to play this game where we're, we're paying millions of dollars to these guys. So if they're going to play that game, you may as well try to play it right. Um, and, you know, and if we're going to try to be competitive at football, then we should pay the money to try to be competitive at football. Um, but, you know, I think we have enough data now to say that Justin Wilcox is very, very unlikely to be the guy to raise the profile of this program beyond, you know, what it has been over the last decade. So, uh, you know, logic then dictates that it's time to move on to the next guy and, and give him a shot and see how it goes. The nature of the program, like, if we're being realistic about our standing, like, there are a lot of institutional difficulties that make us, like, a step down from the most attractive job. Two, like regardless of the resources, prestige, right? Like you have certain things working in your favor and there are certain things that that don't. I think that understanding that calculus means that we're looking for a very particular type of candidate. Um, Cal cannot, and I cannot believe that this was even thrown out there last hiring cycle. Like we can't hire less miles, you guys. Like there are certain institutional obstacles that that prevent us from looking for that kind of established coach. Our best chance, right, like what we've seen, at least in the modern era, and I know that that has only been able to be tested a few times as a hypothesis, but 
our best chance of finding a coach that can move that needle, you have to take a swing on somebody who is high variance. Like, uh, you're betting on them to, uh, like, if they don't come with the best credentials yet, like, you're essentially hiring an up-and-comer. You're hoping that that is the thing that raises our profile. And from there, when that coach gets hired out by a bigger team, um, you're hoping that the infrastructure is there uh, like so it can be handed on a la Stanford, right? Like the Jim Harbaugh to David Shaw baton pass uh, up until recently. And even then, like, like you got to double tap these dudes because like I I keep thinking that they're going to die and they just won't, right? Like <laughs> I, I just um, – I have some ideas and I know that people are going to do their research for this, but we're looking obviously – like we know now that you can't discount like – west coast roots so that restricts our pool a little bit um you and you got to have a person of character representing the university like you can't have somebody who's getting their assistant coaches fired for uh you know soliciting hookers um as it were and and then like you got to have somebody who's up and coming in high variance like i think those are the three main factors that's what led us to tedford and uh, to, to some degree, I, that's what motivated Dykes and I can understand that and I can understand the hire for, for Wilcox too. Like there was nobody waiting to be successful in the 2013, like hiring cycle, uh, where we got Mike Mack and, and, uh, Bob Diaco was like our other people. Like, you know, sometimes you're just going to not get lucky and, and, you know, it just dictates that we have to try again somewhere in the cycle. Um, I'm just going to throw it out there. I was very impressed with what Troy Taylor's Sac State Hornets did against Cal. Obviously, Cal guy understands that dysfunction that is the athletic department. Like, uh, I feel feel good about that. You know, like, I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, Yeah, that's my first guess. You know, it's it's funny that talking about recruiting because I'm very much a recruiting, you know, is the most important thing in college football. But I'm also coming around to the idea that um, the recruiting pecking order is now so stratis- stratified and set in stone that individual coaches just don't matter that much anymore. Like USC and Oregon are going to recruit ahead of Washington and UCLA are going to recruit ahead of everybody else. And all of those are way below anybody from the SEC and the Big Ten. And it just doesn't matter who you hire. And I'm probably overreacting to like the national landscape, but but if I am at all right about that, then maybe the attitude is whoever we hire is gonna recruit at Cal as well as everybody else is recruiting at Cal. And we need to hire somebody who like has a proven record of developing talent and getting as much out of who he can bring on campus because you're not gonna get high four-star, five-star guys, except in rare circumstances, because, you know, like the Jalen Brown types. Um, and I don't know who that is, and I don't really trust the Cal Athletic Department to identify that person. But, you know, if we're talking about who would eventually succeed at Cal, that's sort of my guess as to a template. Cal Twitter coaches Cal football. Like, please, just one one game. Like, what is the worst that could happen, you know? We're going to have like a triple option that runs into an RPO and players glitching out because <laughs> they're being told to run one way and then pass another direction. It's going to be mayhem. Quarterback sneak on mayhem. every play that's uh, two yards to gain or less. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mean, that's, that, that is what I wanted <laughs> on the fourth down play or the third down and third and one. Uh, but then we went with the toss, of course, because it yeah, always works. Yeah, I was I may have had some four letter words in the, in the stands when that happens. <laughs> that was that was <laughs> I think. There's one coach that would possibly I'd get ex- I'd I'd reverse my stance on, and there's only one, and he'll never do it, and that's it. <laughs> and there's Chris Peterson. He's the only one. If he was interested in this job and he wanted to have a nondescript, you know, no pressure environment, because what you guys were talking about, which is like, you know, six and six. I think Rob and I have said, if we're like, I have definitely said this. If we're making a bowl game every year, I'm fine. I don't care. We can go seven, five every single year and we're in a bowl. I'm fine with it. We'll probably have some fun along the way. We'll probably be pissed about. We could have been better, but at the end of the day, that was really what I was okay with. And I looking at Nam's reaction right now and just, (laughs) I I just, okay. Like seven and five every year. Does that like literally mean seven, like you'll net like a real monkey's paw situation. Like you can never ever exceed seven wins, or is it like a seven win consistently? Like cha- like challenge once in a while. Like yeah, I I, I right. Utah. like like that that type of feel. Utah, yeah, we use Utah a lot as like the the benchmark. It, it, but yeah, if we could do that, um. But the problem is, at least in the 10 years in which I've written about this team, and I know, Nick, I think you're probably somewhere in that same range, too. Like, we've watched a lot of football, and the team hasn't even been there. And then I think about how frustrating it is to watch 7-5 and slash, like, barely razor-thin, like, uh, you know, margins that even allow them to get that far. And, like, I don't know if that's what I want with the rest of my life, you know? Like, unless if I'm... At least as a closely engaged fan of the program, like I wouldn't want to experience only that. You know, I would I would hope for some consistency, but every so often like to vary in, into the good range. Like I, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but just seven and five football isn't always fun. <laughs> like, I will throw out there. No, seven and five. I think it uh, in terms of your mental health and life enjoyment, that if you can derive joy out of six and six, seven and five football, you are a well-adjusted person and I would not advise you to change that mindset because we're going to get like, a lot I like envy you so much. <laughs> yeah, like just, okay, let's, let's use the Giants as a, as a, and it's hard to say, right? Because three of us in here are Giants fans and we've seen three World Series and we didn't even think that that would ever happen. Sorry, Rob. Actually, you're not sorry. Fuck you. Because uh, you well, won we, one at our expense. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> Backing up, right? Like, if we said that the Giants would always win 80-something games, right, which is, like, 85 games, and and they might go to the playoffs sometimes and they might not, for the rest of your life, are you satisfied with that? But, like, you got to understand, the Giants are a professional team, and Cal is my college team. And so, like, 
I don't, I think it's not a totally, it's not a one-to-one type of situation. So you look at Cal, like Cal for me, it's like, look, at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, you'd love to see the program take that next step. But, you know, I'm not, I, it's just sort of like, I use this all that I've used this, I've talked about this a couple of times, like Gary Patterson's record at TCU is the perfect example of what tenure can do. They, they went four and eight, like four and eight. I'm sure fans were screaming for him to get fired. It was their first two years coming into the big 12. They go like five and seven and four and eight. And that they keep it consistent with him. He does, he does, what does he do? He defensive based teams, like basically this entire time. And over time, they've had success to the point where it looks like a tenure that I would take. And it's, it just, yeah, like seven and five sucks. I've said that the whole year. Like I, when we lost our first couple games, I was like, guys, these losses, when I predict seven wins, the five losses are going to hurt. You know it every year. And yes, it's super hard to go through it because you want something that's better. But to me, the foundation of what Utah was, particularly when I was working with the team, when we were playing them in the bowl game in 09, is, you know, on the back of their equipment bus, they had all their bowl wins. And their reputation and the brand they built behind that was we don't lose bowl games. And that's how Utah moved from that small program into being brought into the Pac-12 was they built it on the back of seasons where they weren't always, I mean, when they were in the smaller conference, they were better, but they built basically a sustainable program by not necessarily reaching beyond that. And I think that's what I'm saying here is that the core of what, I want Cal to be is competitive year in year out and competitive means you might have a year like this year where we could lose. We could get three wins. That's it. Like we could have four wins, but that doesn't mean that next year we couldn't flip that and win eight. And that's the bargain that I make. And you, and then the intangibles come in. Like, is he a class act? Is it somebody that graduates their players? Is it somebody that cares that seemingly cares about their players' well-being? Those three sort of take it to the point where I say, yeah. Like, and that's why I can't compare it to the Giants because we're not talking about like graduating baseball players. Like these are professional athletes, right? The expect and and I think that's what's so interesting about Nick's point is that you the way you look at it analytically with the money tied in is absolutely something that wasn't in my perspective. And I think that that's something that is really valid. I just never really thought about it that way. But if I was looking at the Giants, Nam, to your point, like, hell yeah. I'd be like, dude, you guys are paid millions. Of- I was yelling at Evan Longoria this weekend. <laughs> Evan Longoria and Chris Bryant. You know, it's like, you guys are paid millions of dollars to do this. I just think that there, there, are, there are intangibles that exist in college football outside of just the product on the field that have helped me get to that mindset where you guys might say I have a good mindset, but I would challenge you on that and say I definitely do not. <laughs> it's really interesting. I hope that helps. Yeah, no, it's re- like I've not really thought about it in your terms because I don't have any attachment to a pro football team. So Cal is essentially like a pro football unit, at least in terms of the way that I root for them. Um, you know, like the, there is something to be said for being a consistently competitive team, which we haven't 
or have verged upon being for the last 10 years. But uh, with our institutional investment like increasing and, and the money that's at stake and the stadium that you have to pay off, like I think there has to be a level of ambition that's above that. Um, not to say that that like being consistently competitive isn't important, but they got to start swaying for the fences because, uh, you know, the reason why why like Dykes eventually had to go was like they had a season renew season ticket renewal rate of like thirty percent, and I don't know what we're looking at like next year yet because there's still a little bit of season left to be played, but finances do dictate some of that and also fairly or unfairly we are all children of the jeff tedford era some of us like directly because you went to school during that and me like growing up thinking that such a thing was possible right like i think if you look at cal football in the long view of six decades like the last six decades of you know mostly middling uh non-competitive like programs uh, I think you it's easy to have that view when you're like, well, football is not essential to how I understand the university versus the generation of voices that is currently, you know, for better or for worse, sorry, everybody, uh, shaping the discourse. Like, uh, we, we do have some, some right, maybe that's not the right word, uh, we, we do have that expectation, though, of being something because we've seen a summit before, and, and that's, for better or for worse, like what we know we can chase, I think I think the the thing here is it's it's all valid. Like Andy's Andy's point for me, like as a as a fan of professional sports, it's like whatever team I I root for, it's championship or bust. There's no there's no moral middle ground. Like the only other thing is like if you know for for Nam and for Nick or Spurs fans, uh, God bless your soul. And for me as a as a why United did I, fan, why did I not listen to you guys when I willingly like chose this life, you. and I, and now I, I get to you. live the same misery twice a week? I told you, I told you. But <laughs> <laughs> Nick's Nick's dancing for those who are listening on the pod. But the point, I, the reason I bring that up is like you know, at least in at least in you know Premier League soccer or European soccer, like you have the you have the ultimate goal of trying to win a championship, but you also have the secondary goal of trying to make European soccer. You so getting in the fourth place, that's not bad. I think I think what Andy's trying to get at with collegiate sports is that's that second tier, right? You're not we're not gonna pull a Leicester City one year, right? We're not just gonna come into the league, be a middling team one year, and then the immediate following year, like be in like a, a tight, tight race to win a championship. It doesn't. It rarely happens. Those Cinderella runs. So in order for you to get to that part, that second step is consistently being or playing European football, and that the comparison here is that we need to be con- consistently playing bowl games, and that's one of the things under Tedford, right? That people forget is we were consistently playing bowl games, and that's what led to, you know, the, the, the other factors we talk about, the extra practices, right? That that plays a huge part in in leading into that and just the exposure because everyone's watching all those bowl games because there's only so many that happen every day um and your brand the cheese it bowl has has altered our brand like <laughs> for, forever in the college football consciousness yeah you can't pay for that kind of pr guys you can't you, can't. you absolutely can't so i i think andy's point is is valid um but i also think nick nam's point's perfectly valid too like we just can't set our sights on 
merely going to a bowl game every year. I think that next step is where we want to get to as a program. Because ultimately, if you know, if you root for the Warriors, right? Or, like most of you guys are Warriors fans. Initially, just wanted to get to the playoffs, and then you guys started vying for championships. And then it was like, I want that next championship. I want that next championship. It's it's beyond the playoffs, and we're we need to get to that point. But I think it's a it's the 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 view that all of us have that are different is the means to get to that point. Like ultimately all of us want to get to where we're vying for championships, right? Whether that be Pac-12 championships or national championships, I, it doesn't, it doesn't matter which championships, but we're vying for championships, but it's a, uh, are we, is, is this guy that'll get us to that point in the next five to, to eight years, or do we need to make a change to get another guy that might get us to that point in the next five to eight years? And that's kind of like the, where we sit of that's where our positions are on this spectrum. I want to respond real quick to two items that Andy brought up. Um, one thing I do want to mention is I don't want this to just be dumping on Justin Wilcox hour. Um, like you mentioned sort of like how he's led the program and he's an upstanding guy and hasn't been any real controversies, at least that I'm aware of. And one thing I do want to mention in praise of him, um, and this might be a low level thing, but it matters a lot to me is that um, Cal athletes have taken a real leadership position in the Pac-12 United movement and the college football unionization movement. And I, I don't really know what Justin Wilcox's position is on that, but I just can't help but assume that because his players have felt comfortable stepping into that role and have remained contributors on the team that are valued and that he at least doesn't in any way hinder that the way a lot of coaches around the country have done. And that's, you know, maybe I'm setting a low bar here, but I just know that a lot of guys are dicks about it. Mm -hmm. Nick Rolovich. Um, so Nah, I, I, I agree with what, first of all, it's like within the spirit of like our institution, right? Like this, streak of of activism like so i'm really glad that you brought that point up because that's something that i haven't really thought about for a long time um with wilcox that's an excellent thing sorry i just wanted to chime in in agreement there you had a second thing um it's so like i i don't want to discount what justin wilcox does well um and you know message to the cal admin that's not listening to this podcast is that if you do decide to fire justin wilcox and move in a different direction that you know that's continuing to support players in, in those sort of regards should be, you know, like a baseline expectation the same way that graduating players is now a baseline expectation. The other point that you made, like talking about um, Kyle Whittingham and Gary Patterson and, and the, how those programs made the transition to the P5 level and, and uh, their administrations were very patient with them. The one thing that they had going for them is sort of like, a, a kind of proof of concept and and to be fair like they had maybe more of a g5 proof of concept where they had these spectacular g5 years um and, and it's not necessarily the same thing as doing it at a p5 level but like i think that's the one thing that we're struggling with with justin wilcox is that he hasn't had that one year that's sort of like the proof that he can do it and that doesn't mean he can't but we have five years and we don't yet have that proof and I, I really wish he had given us that proof. And I hope he still does. I'm just skeptical of, of it ever happening. And 
actually a slightly separate point. I, I often wonder, um, being a blogger and writing about the team and kind of having to think about it, I wonder how much that skews my perspective because I've become this odd combination of cynical but immune at the same time where like I don't, I have this expectation of the program that's quite low, but I'm also okay with it because it's just like, it is what it is now. I'm used to it. And if they give me something more, then that's great. I'll celebrate it. <laughs> the life I mean, of the last four years of uh, Taliban's basketball, but it's like, you know, I know what I'm getting into when I watch this and I'm going to hope for good things. And if it doesn't happen, then I'm going to, take a shower and get on with my day and come back and root for him tomorrow. Yeah, we see Nick with that TV in the background. That's that's the couch of uh, misery that he sits down and watch Cal basketball every <laughs> every day during the season. A box of popcorn and just, I got to write about this game now. <laughs> I wonder what this one gives me. I think, I think for me, the proof of concept was 2019. And... And now I find myself being like, okay, the, the thing that I think Nick that you talked about is like those teams had an identity. And the thing that's frustrating about this year is we just don't have any consistent identity. One week we're good on offense. The next week we're not one week. We're kind of good on defense, <laughs> but like, you know, I guess we've been somewhat more consistent there. We've just been average, but you know, it's just hard to, I think early in the Wilcox era, you knew who we were. We're going to blow you out, but holy shit, we were going to play sound, fundamental, defensive football. And maybe because we've been chasing offense for so long and looked at that as if we just had offense, we've lost sight of that identity. And I think that's a, that's an issue going forward. And the other thing is because we've shifted so far that direction, it then says like, what possible changes could we make that then put us in a position to be more successful next year? And I think that's the thing that trips me up because I don't know. I'm not sure if you, a lot of these coaches are pretty new to the program. So if you're going to make a move, it's going to be pretty indicative of a big hiring miss. And, and, and so I think that just becomes a, a huge question going forward is how do you adjust the other, the other thing I want to talk to you guys about is like Rob and I, Rob, I'm speaking for you here because we've talked about it the last two pods. So if I'm wrong, just jump in and be like, you're wrong. Um, but I, we don't think there's any chance that this administration lets Wilcox go. He was critical in the hire of Knowlton and yeah, yeah. At the you know at the end of the at the, yeah yeah sorry not forever, uh. But you know at the end of this year, even at the very worst, I could literally see the season going one and eleven or whatever. And I, I think that would maybe force them to take a look at it. But like three and nine, I don't think. I just think it's probably a conversation with the athletic director about how do we turn this thing around. I'm curious if you guys feel the same way, or you know just to get your thoughts. I Oh, so my take here, and I've talked to Peter and other guys about this. I think all college football coaches and professional football coaches get the get this one one uh like buy one more year card, which is scapegoat your coordinators and buy yourself one more year. You every every head coach plays that card 
at least once. Harbaugh just did it. Yeah. yeah. Harbaugh just did it. Wilcox hasn't used that card yet. Right? <laughs> he did get a lot of years out of that card. So, so that card hasn't been played yet. Whether that card gets played or not, I, I don't know. But also, Nick, I know you and Peter were having this discussion. I don't want to steal away from your guys' podcast, but... I mean, if you're the AD, you're looking at this, right? And let's say let's say this football team goes one and eleven. Do you do you honestly have the finances to? And let's say basketball tanks this year too, right? And Knowlton said at Mark Fox's presser that he gives usually gives his coaches three years to figure out whether, and that's when he knows whether he has a good coach or not. And if this year tanks under Fox, that's year three. And year three for Wilcox was actually a pretty good year. So my point is, if both seasons tank, do we have the finances to to get rid of both? Like we might have to push one off, right? And the likelihood that basketball is going to be bad is very, very high. <laughs> very- I'm hella depressed right now. I don't follow basketball at all, but to know <laughs> that it's suddenly like an impact into like the football-like thing... This is deeply depressing, Rob. Like, but I you, just want but you, you understand where I'm coming from, right? Like, it's, it's I, I, I do, yeah. right? Like, money, money is a finite thing in this community, right? Be due to the you're, powers that be. You're going to be like, asking the same donors to paying the buyout of both, uh, both basketball and shit, football. Man, it's not possible. I don't think it's possible. So, right? I don't want to get into a, a basketball discussion, but let, <laughs> let suffice to say that the ability of Calmen's basketball to make money outside of whatever we get automatically from like the media revenue it has been murdered over the last four years yeah it just has <laughs> I, I i don't i'm not happy about it i don't like saying it i feel like a dick um saying it but that's just the reality and so i don't think the athletic department is going to chase you know good money after bad on men's basketball um you know then maybe they'll let that contract expire you know, maybe you know, by the time it's like year four, it's not that much money. Maybe some donor will cover it. Basketball is dead as a revenue program um, right now. Maybe that'll change in five years. I don't know. Football is a completely different thing where, like, there's there's the talent on the roster that, if if deployed correctly by the current coaching staff or the next coaching staff, could be good and could, you know, get people to show up at Memorial Stadium and, and make more money. And so there's, and also there's a whole lot more Cal fans, donors that care about football than care about basketball. And so I don't think that the men's basketball program directly impacts the football decision other than that it's a part of the landscape of the athletic department that's generally struggling. Um, Maybe a more interesting question is what the men's basketball hire that Knowlton made two years ago, what does that say about his ability to handle a change in, in the football department and that's maybe a scarier conversation yeah. um just real quickly on this question then like i hope we don't have to find out right like i i hope we don't have to like sit here and ponder the reality of a one and eleven season or a three and nine season like i hope Right, like that we can win with just what we have because I do that, right? Like that's that weird like 
blogger fan thing that me and and Nick and Peter and everybody has to deal with is like at the end of the day we want positive results for the program it is not fun to sit here to hash out and relitigate like what these various dilemmas that that are going on like we want to win okay it is fun to deal with winners and I hope that we don't have to have that conversation I can't honestly profess to to think about what they'll do or not um but like i i hope that it, it straightens itself out i just think that sooner or later if it's not this year whether he's safe carte blanche and arguably he already has done the coordinator thing because he had to get rid of Bo right for musgrave tdr also was got rid of like he didn't do it in the way that oh like i'm gonna fire all my coordinators and and reshuffle the staff in the same year but arguably like we've already had that transition almost all of the staff uh has rolled over in some degree um i i don't personally put as much weight behind that like we've seen him hire uh with some effectiveness but not maybe not in the last cycle yet uh so i don't know if he's safe this year um i i couldn't project either way but i hope i don't have to think about this more uh, i hope they just win seven in a row <laughs> uh well i mean we've been talking for an hour already I don't know if we have more to talk about in this regard. Like, we can go into more hypotheticals, but that's not good for anyone's headspace. <laughs> not for any four of us. Um, so I guess the final question to all of you guys is, like, what is, I guess it's that's the it's the simple answer. Like Nam just said, we go 7-0, and you're okay with that and we push the decision out for another year and we'll talk about it this off season and we'll recollect ourselves basically. Right. And it's a, that'd be hilarious for Nam's like final, <laughs> final year writing. And his like final thing is we'll decide next year. Like there's no, there's no like time. Again. Not, yeah. Okay. Right, like <laughs> just if, if I have to spend the last year of myself blogging and have uh, have that like be a terrible team then fine at least i can say i clo like all right i took you guys through two two chapters like this is my shift right like i uh my night's watch has ended <laughs> yeah like like i think he can get as safe as four and eight i think for sure if he's at wins at least four games i feel really good that they'll make that you know we'll keep him we'll keep yeah it's just a, a point to clarify it yeah nam was 2013 your first year blogging um, in the technical sense of speaking, yes. Like, basically 2012, 2013, um, like, starting to do, like, a ridiculous long column on Mondays, yeah, like, 2013, basically. I, th I think the odds of Cal going 1-11 are exceedingly low. Uh, I don't know if, I don't want to say it would be poetic if you started and ended at 1-11. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> he just put that bad juju just into into the universe. He just nicked well, it. Yeah, we want to talk about bad juju. Like everything associated with websites I've written for, uh, we we <laughs> we destroyed the Tedford era. We started right for California and kicked off a global pandemic, and then went premium in time for the destruction of the Wilcox era. I'm, I probably have more blood on my hands than uh, anybody else in this uh, on this podcast right now. <laughs> 
Uh, it is great. It is great when we get people tweeting at us about like the coaches and like what needs to be done. Like Nam liked my tweet that I put out last night. Like when people tweet at us about this, I was like, I don't know what you guys expect us to do. Like we don't we don't have any say. Like I'm the one at most of those pressers, and I'm pretty sure none of the coaches actually know what my name is. So like out damn spot. Out <laughs> out damn spot. So it's just one of those things. I was like, I don't know what I get. You're trying to like you voice your opinion, but like tweeting at me or Andy or Nam or at Nick or putting us all into a single tweet, like doesn't really do much. Like we're all, we're always also texting and talking to each other. That It's like, we're already discussing everything. Not everything that we discuss will put up on the internet, but like we're talking about it. Um, and it influences some of my, at least for me, it influences some of my takes and, and approaches to, football but it is it is hilarious especially in the, these types of circumstances i think it's hilarious absolutely hilarious we're all just smiling at each other i think this is a good way to end the pod <laughs> this is the perfect way to end the pod well uh thanks nam and nick uh for joining of course nick monday columns also the bear market the premium podcast of Redford, california so you can subscribe there do all that stuff Nam, of course, the novel on Sundays. Beautifully poetic, this this novel this week. I loved it. Stop. I loved it. You're embarrassing me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Is there an actual novel coming? Is there is it just a single page novel or is it an actual uh, novel? I'm 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 on the way. I'm you know on what, the way. You know what honestly, Nam, you should do is you should find every single novel you've ever written. Right, Cal football novel, and just compile it into a seven-year book, like just with the dates of every single one, and just put it out as like a Shea Serrano PDF. <laughs> it's like five bucks. Here's my collection of all of the, and people can read it and just relive every single Cal like football moment over the last nine years ish. Yeah, nine, nine, ten years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Listen, if you're a sick, sick, depraved individual, uh, come see me then. But like, that's not that's not a project I'm directly like actively pursuing. I was gonna say, next, next, you can note it in like like a footnote. Here's when my soul fled my body. Here's the second time my soul fled my body. Here's the date that never returned. Yeah, we're that we're that uh we're that meme, right? The sicko, <laughs> like at the window, just waiting. Just waiting. But Nam has the novel on Sundays. Also, you can find him on Rivals with the Crepe podcast with him and Trace. Great podcast uh, if you want the insider scoops with recruiting and actually um, a little bit more in-depth stuff compared to what Andy and I do, which is just we just fling stuff and see what sticks. So, but <laughs> I like we have we have a lot of fun. Uh, but Andy and I, of course, you're listening to the California Golden Bearcast. And that's it all. As always. Go Bears. Go Bears. Go Bears.